and welcome to our podcast. My name is Jillian. And my name is Kat. And this is Bugging Out About. So, um, we kind of have to talk about, like, this elephant beetle in the room, which is the fact that we disappeared off the face of the earth for, like, six months. It was since March. It wasn't, like, that long. Okay, it was pretty long for us being a podcast and not recording. So, I will own up to the fact that this is... 100% my fault. (laughs) We went off air for a really long time, Um, but for good reason. I got really busy, and as you all know, life happens, things happen, and sometimes things have to go on the back burner when that occurs. So luckily, it all got sorted out. Life is back on track, and keep in mind, we are just college students, so it's really hard to keep our lives on track in general. Yeah, so... I apologize for us going on hiatus, but thank you guys for being loyal listeners and coming back to listen to this next episode, and we really hope you enjoy it. But um, actually, recently, part of the reason why I went missing, too, is I was in Guam for three months, so... Which is a lot more exciting than what I have been doing for three months, which is um, exploring the world of video games. I literally have never really indulged in video games before. But as of lately, I've been testing out, uh, my boyfriend got a Switch, so I've been playing Stardew Valley. You guys also got a VR set, though. That's really cool. We also have a VR, so I've been playing a lot of Beat Saber. But yeah, a lot of video games. I've been playing, I mean, a lot in essence of what I normally do, which is not do that at all. I've been too busy for video games. Do you you play anything? Um, See, the extent of my video game knowledge is like... Pokemon and like Smash Bros. That's about it. Well, it's actually funny that you bring up Pokemon since this is a bug podcast. I would say it makes for a very good topic of discussion today. We are really bad at intros, but I thought it was a pretty smooth (laughs) one. Today, we are bugging out about video game bugs. So, in traditional bugging out about fashion, we are going to do my favorite segment, which is the etymology of entomology. So, since we're doing video game bugs, it's kind of a play on the word bug, and so the definition of the word bug in terms of, like, computers and video games is a glitch, or an issue with the functioning of something such as a video game, computer, etc. Can I also point out that this nomenclature made it very difficult to research about video game arthropods because anytime you typed bug into the search bar, it was just glitches and people just showing you. Just a bunch you, of trolls. Just like, a upset. bunch of trolls upset about <laughs> stuff. So five stars just for the research on this one because that was obnoxious. But anyways, the origins of the word computer bug actually comes from about the time computers were created. So on September 9th, 1947, we have this wonderful woman named Grace Murray Hopper who helped to build one of the world's first computers. And she was actually the first person to find a computer bug, but literally a bug. So in this giant like computer, if you've ever seen like the early computers, they just look like walls of electronics. And so their computer wasn't working. Nobody knew why. And so then Grace Murray Hopper goes into the computer, like literally takes it apart, and she finds a moth. And that is how you get the word computer bug. 
Yeah, we actually posted a picture of the moth that was found on our Twitter and I think even on our Facebook page, you know, six yeah. months ago when this episode <laughs> was originally supposed to be recorded. But, but we had our own computer bug where our software, I don't know if glitch is the right term, but anyways, the file like would not open and I was like, oh, yeah, well, that was a rough recording. Anyways, we'll re-record it and then that's when everything happened. You know, and we so... just never re-recorded. But here we are now. Yeah, we're here now. I think it's for the better. It's for the yeah. better. So anyways, today we're going to be talking about different games that feature different kinds of bugs. And our first game we are going to be talking about today is one of Kat's favorite games. Not even just one of my favorite games. It is absolutely the best series of games in existence, in my humble opinion. And that would be the Elder Scrolls series. Okay, so arthropods actually play such a large role in the Elder Scrolls games whether it's enemies or just like the world creation or even as far as the alchemy goes the range that they have is so large and it feels just as diverse as this game um the elder scroll series for anyone who doesn't know it is rated m they do got some violence they do got some blood so i mean if you're if there is a child out there that doesn't know what it is and you're suggesting it to them might want to ask your parents might want to ask your parents right it can be played on console or PC. I've never played it on PC. That's like way too advanced. People you do. You have it on um, your VR, right? I do. I do have How much Skyrim does it cost VR? for each like, is it like 40, 60? I feel like it's, it's, you know, it's up there. I can't, I can't name it off the top. Anymore, most of the games are kind of old, so they're not quite as much. They're more in the $20 range just because they're a few years old. But um, some of our arthropod-inspired creatures that you'll find in-game would be things like our frostbite spiders, our mud crabs, our torch bugs, shell bugs, and the quama. Um, there's even these things called silt striders that you can ride to places in Morrowind. Um, it's actually kind of sad because the whole uh, way that these creatures are used as transportation is the people who made them to ride like broke into their exoskeletons and exposed their sensitive parts and then they coaxed them to move by pressing and messing around with the sensitive this tissues. This isn't too far off though from like real research that's being done on insects though which it's, is like crazy there's not I mean depending on how you view animals and like we're not like any sort of political podcast so ignore anything about animal rights but there's actually like the study going on where they're chopping off the antennae of roaches and connecting like um wires to them that like they emit electronic signals that essentially act as like if the roach were walking once they send a signal to one side or the other it essentially acts like a wall and so that forces the roach to turn a certain way and so some people think it's like kind of cruel that they're cutting off the antenna yeah. of these roaches i i mean i have no comment on it because yeah it's a hard it's a hard subject to breach because there's a lot of unknowns right like in, we, we don't know much about like their pain receptors or how they express pain if they even feel pain there's um there's a lot of people that say they don't and then especially like the idea of like consciousness in animals anyways we're not gonna get into that um back to these elder scroll bugs for anyone who doesn't know, also, like, these are fictional bugs we're talking about. Yeah, but no, they're definitely not real. Some of them, if they were real, I mean, then I would actually understand why people are scared of bugs if some of these things were real. Well, I'll we'll let you know when we're talking about real ones. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so 
Um, another type of arthropod creature you'll find in the Elder Scrolls series comes out of Morrowind. Morrowind is actually just in their culture or I would say maybe environment. They have a lot more arthropod inspired creatures as opposed to other creatures around Tamriel, which is like the big world that the Elder Scroll series is based on. You're of. like speaking another language to me. I know, right I'm now. speaking another language. <laughs> so the Kwama, I hope I'm saying that right, by the way. Uh, they're these insectoid creatures and they work in a colony slash like a you social society. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know what a you social society is, it's a it's what like bees and ants have. So they have an advanced level of social organization where there's usually like one single female and then they produce the offspring and then non-reproductive individuals cooperate in caring for those young. So in Morrowind, the Kwama have these things called egg mines and the creatures work in there and it's super important to the economy in that specific region so much so that you'll see a lot of the Morrowind towns are built around the mines and many of the missions that you face are centered around these mines. Um, they're also very interesting because if you're going through the mines when you're doing these missions, you're going to see the complete metamorphosis stages as you travel through, including the eggs, uh, the scribs, which are like the larvae, and then the adult forms, which could be workers, foragers, or warriors, which are all classes that you would find within a youth social society. These things are, like, what really surprises me about video games is they actually follow some, like, biological rules, which I think is really cool because I'm a giant nerd. Maybe most people don't care about that, but, like... <laughs> and it's really interesting, especially if you go back to, like, our movie episode where we're talking about some of our horror movies and how wrong movies right. get arthropods oh and just how right, I would say, video games do. I mean, they're the real winner here. They are the real winner. Um... Another huge role that you'll see arthropods play in this game series is in the alchemy. So you can use things like butterfly wings and uh, can be paired with spider eggs and chorus antennae to create potions that damage an enemy's stamina. Um, you have bees and honeycomb and torch bug thorax can be combined to create um, another thing. Oh, it's a, sorry, a potion to improve your stamina. Like so your one, own. Yeah, one yeah. damages and one improves it. Um, which actually makes a lot of sense when you think about our general medicinal practices today that's actually really congruent to today's society. Yeah. And if you think about anti-venom, that's the exact same thing, right? We're taking the venom, we're taking... We're taking a portion of an arthropod and, like, making a medicine right. out of it. And making a medicine. I mean, it's somewhat like a healing potion. You got damage, so you're taking this anti-venom, this potion, <laughs> and you're healing yourself. The world I mean, is magical. The world is magical. Okay, there's fairies, and we're well, all living like, in the clouds. Even in, like, traditional medicine, I'm pretty sure it's in traditional Chinese medicine that they make, like, a tea out of roaches to, like, improve health. I think it's Chinese. I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. There was like, no research done for that one. It's just through the grapevine. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm pretty sure I like read it or I watched it somewhere. That sounds Solid. really sketchy. <laughs> that sounds really, really sketchy. You know, I read but, like, it somewhere on the internet. But there, I mean, it's true, though. There's a lot of traditional medicine based on yeah. insects. There's a lot of stuff based on insects, especially when you start getting out of our first world countries. I mean, our arthropods play such a huge role and we just dismiss them over here in our first world. But even now, they're starting to, like, come up with, not come up with, like, there's a lot of scientific evidence that these arthropods can help us with more than just, like, you know, 
anti-venom. They're actually looking into using insects and arachnids to look into diseases like cancer and Parkinson's. So like tarantula venom is being used to study Parkinson's disease. Scorpion venom is being used to study um, brain cancer. Uh, I think there's even tarantula venom is being used to study, I think, um, like heart disease. But there's like so many cool things you can do with insects that and, and arachnids that people really aren't thinking much about. But like someday these animals could be saving your life or someone you know's life. So if you're playing these games and you think alchemy is not important to be investing <laughs> your skill points in, let me be the first one to tell you that you're plus wrong. 10. You're plus wrong. 10 alchemy skill. Plus 10. And that's not... I'm, I don't I'm, think she knows how to do no, anything I don't. that's game related. I really don't. Um, and then the last bit I want to hit on is, and I kind of touched on it with the last point, is just talking about bees. We do have bees that are seen throughout the universe. Um they're used as an ingredient, and they have their production of honey. In the Elder Scrolls universe. Right, yep, yeah. in the Elder Scrolls universe. I mean, in this universe, too. Yeah, It's yeah, pretty accurate. True. They actually have a pretty accurate representation. Eating the honey in Skyrim, uh, it heals two points of your health, and the honeycomb that come from the hives can be used as ingredients in regenerative potions. Um, honey is something that we use in our world often for a regenerative and a healing sort of process, too. So it's just another really good example of how uh, fantastic the Elder Scrolls did <laughs> at their arthropod inclusion. And I didn't even begin to scratch the surface with this. I could probably lecture an entire podcast. On the Elder on Scrolls? It. On the Elder you Scrolls. You don't understand. One. There's just so many. There's just so many that they do. I mean, it's true, though. Like, I use honey for a sore throat. And, like, they also make, like, cough drops out of honey. Mm-hmm. It is widespread. So... Let's get to the real reason people are here listening to a bug podcast with video game as the topic. While I disagree, it is definitely not to listen to me talk about Elder Scrolls for an hour. So, like, this is the one I've been waiting for because this is the one I actually know about and, like, have devoted my entire life to. I've got, like, this all over my house. I've done a lot of things based on this game. And that game is Pokemon! Um, so hold there's, your applause, my dudes. Hold <laughs> your applause. There's obviously, as many of you know, there are a lot of different versions of Pokemon. Of course, there's like the classic game, like the classic game mode where you're a trainer and you go out and train Pokemon. But there's also many um, other like branched games that are based off of the traditional game. Uh, all of them are rated E for everyone. So anyone can play this game, young or old. I am going to play them until I die. Nerd. <laughs> And the price range uh, can be from, like, 0 to $50, depending on which one you're playing. So, like, the phone games, uh, you can play them for $0. Like, they're free. Of course, there are in-game purchases for them. But, like, the ones for your DS or your Switch can cost anywhere from, like, 20 to 60 bucks, depending on what it is. Which is 20 to 60 bucks. Too much, if you ask my opinion. You can. The gaming platform is from Game Boy, DS, NES, Wii, Wii U, Switch, and then of course your phone, Apple, Android, and you can also play uh, different Pokemon games online. Like, I'm pretty sure you can play the card game online, and then there's also, I don't think it's run by the actual Pokemon company, but you can play like versions of Pokemon online, and then like create your own team and battle people online. So those, like, you can play this on literally anything. You can access Pokemon anywhere, anytime. It's great. <laughs> it's like a virus. It's like the cold virus. But anyways, cats. <laughs> Sorry, I do not dislike Pokemon that much. It's just every time I turn around, Joey is playing Pokemon Go. 
art someone else's. It's they like, have a new one now that looks so good. It's called Pokemon Masters. Oh my gosh, the animation's so clean. So clean. I just want our walks to be normal walks again. I totally play Pokemon Go on my bike and totally do not look where I'm going when I'm playing it. It's really bad. Don't play Pokemon Go on bike. Anywho, back to the actual podcast content. The game Pokemon started because the creator liked collecting bugs. Actually, in Japan... What a nerd. In Japan, bug collecting is actually way bigger than it is here, to my knowledge. Like, there's a lot of cultural things based on different bugs, especially things like beetles. So in the game, people have actually done research studies on the game Pokemon, which blows my mind that a video game is, like, so popular people do research on it or like write papers about it so there's this really cool paper that breaks down the different kinds of insects you can find inside of the game and the most prevalent ones um i think from like highest to lowest is lepidoptera non-insects coleoptera hymenoptera hemiptera diptera odonata orthoptera mentoidea phasmatoidea and then others of course most of you don't even know what that means so i'm going to go through that one more time but a little bit slower and give some examples here and there so lepidoptera is things like butterflies and moths of course we have like butterfree or venomoth non-insects of course are just things that aren't insects an example of an arthropod that's not an insect that's in the game would be crabby it's a crab you didn't already get that surprise surprise i also relate to the name crabby because i am also crabby most of the time yeah i know (laughs) (laughs) um coleoptera is beetles so of course the most famous a famous one is heracross but you also have beetles like pincher um scyther can also kind of be related to beetles i think it was put in the mantoidea category I could be wrong. Um, Hymenoptera, which is ants, bees, and wasps. So you have like Vespaquin and Ninjask and not Ninjask. Yeah, I think it involves into a Hymenopteran. You wouldn't know. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> she is crazy, but that's fine. She's saying all the, you know how Elder Scrolls was another language? Pokemon is just another language to <laughs> me too. Hemiptera, I cannot think of any true bugs off the top of my head right now. I will think of it later. Um, Diptera is flies. Odonata is dragonflies. So things like Yanma, that's a dragonfly. Orthoptera is crickets and grasshoppers. Maybe Scyther is put in that category. Could be wrong. Mantoidea, obviously mantids. They actually have a really cool one um, in Sun and Moon called Lurantis. It's like my favorite, it's one of my top favorite Pokemon. It's this little pink mantis that's based off um, the orchid mantis, <gasps> oh, Hymenopus coronatus. Yeah, it's, it's super cute. It's definitely on my top six in my team. So yeah. Um, and then last but not least, Phasmatoidea, which is like walking sticks and stuff. I do not, walking sticks, leaf bugs, cannot remember what one that would be off the top of my head i'm trying to think because i feel like i know but i don't i let's be real i don't know and then the paper was funny enough to even mention that genesect was actually like an exception to all of this because it doesn't have like a firm category it fits in i'm pretty sure genesect was in i think it's black and white and it's like this um after game play that you have where you can go catch this legendary one and if i'm now genesect is different i'm thinking of like this other one anyways clearly i am not a pokemon master yet i like probably half of you are like fake fan i swear i'm a real fan i'm but 
I just can't think right now. Um, but anyways, this paper is super interesting that they lay out all of these Pokemon types in the game, and then they even went to the extent to like list the stats and like the different stats of these Pokemon and how well bug Pokemon actually do in the game. And surprise, they don't do well. Like anyone who plays Pokemon would know that bugs have like a horrible defense stat, except for maybe like Heracross. But even then, bugs are like really bad at attack stat. Anyway, I sound like a total nerd right now, but this is kind of like the point of the podcast, isn't it? I mean, to be fair, bugs in real life also kind of have an awful defense and attack stat (laughs) in most cases. They're definitely a little bottom tier in that regard. Still love them, though. Still love them. Don't get me wrong. Anyways, there is this other cool paper I found by Dr. Rebecca A. Schmidt Jeffries. I think that's how you pronounce it. And then Joshua C. Nelson Ichido. It was published in September 2008. It's captioned, It's titled, Gotta Catch Em All, Communicating Entomology with Pokemon. Which, I don't, for anyone who knows me, I'm really passionate about outreach and education with um, bugs. So this paper was a joy to read. Um, it, it wasn't anything like advanced. It was just talking about how... Entomology can be communicated through the game Pokemon. Granted, I'm sure kids aren't like playing this game, picking out concepts like, oh, it's really cool that Pokemon shows metamorphosis and evolution. Actually, if you were to talk to my biology professor back when I was a freshman in college, she got very bent out of shape that Pokemon uses the word evolution. Since evolution does not affect an individual, but I rather like, affects but like kids a population. Don't... I know kids don't get it, but I'm just yeah. I'm just I'm just pointing it out. Adults are just killjoys. That's that's what it that is. That is true. I was sitting in class and I was like, "Come on, man, you're thinking way too much into this one." But... Says the people who are <laughs> dissecting video games for <laughs> bugs. So, but there are some really cool things that it communicates. Like I mentioned, metamorphosis. So, like for example, they have. Um, was it, like, Kakuna and then, like, Ninjask and Burmy are all uh, insect-based Pokemon that show metamorphosis through what the game calls evolution. Like, you have different evolutionary stages. Like, there's a beginning, middle, and end one. But that does appropriately show what it looks like minus the egg stage. So I've, I'm pretty sure we've gone over metamorphosis before, but for anyone who doesn't know, metamorphosis has four stages. Um, it's egg larva, pupa, and then adult. And so typically Pokemon leaves out the egg portion of metamorphosis, but you will see the Pokemon go from a larval stage to a pupal stage like Kakuna, and then they have like their final evolutionary stage, which is like a butterfly or a moth or like some sort of flying creature. Now, I may be wrong, but I'm going to assume that Kakuna's stats are very bad. Well, because a real animal in a cocoon they is do, not doing a lot. They have, like, a lot of defensive moves in the middle stage. The most popular one is Harden, which, like, boosts your defense stat. And so people will just, like, spam this move until, your like, your attack does, like, very minimal damage to this Pokemon. But usually those ones are, like, the beginner ones. Like, when you're in the beginning of the game, those are more, like, low-tier uh, Pokemon. They're never on any of the professional teams. But they also, a really cool part of Pokemon is that sometimes it even shows habitat specificity. Like, you have a map in your game that will show you where to find the Pokemon and, like, what time of day it comes out. Which, 
is based off of real biology. There are bugs that will come out only at night or only at day, and you can find certain bugs in certain areas, like trapinch is based off of um, an antlion, and antlions typically live in the sand, so you can only find this Pokemon in sandy areas, which is really cool. Hey, that's a good one. I don't think you're actually impressed by this. I think <laughs> that was very sarcastic. <laughs> Well, you know, we'll say we just have different tastes in uh, <laughs> our video games. I'm, like, totally nerding out, though. Like, this is so cool that this game can, like, communicate so many biological concepts or at least get kids interested in these, in different kinds of animals because they're playing this game because clearly they're based off of real animals. Like, there's um, this hashtag on Twitter that happened a few years back called hashtag Pokemon IRL. And it was having people make Pokemon descriptions for real-life animals. So it was getting kids interested in animals by having them create, like, Pokemon cards for them. Which That's actually really cool. That's really cool, actually. I love that. I did that for um, a project in my mammalogy class last year. We made, like, 70 cards of, like, mammals. And, like, to play the game to attack someone, you had to answer a question about that mammal, like... Name a specific or like a unique bone structure of this mammal and then you can attack your opponent kind of deal. So it's actually a really good educational tool Dude, like Pokemon cards. That. Let's write that game for bugs. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's just going to look like Pokemon. But like the characteristics and biological processes, a lot of people criticize the game for not being like specific. It's over-stylized, over-simplified, and presenting like... A fantasy more of a fantasy version of some of these concepts but like personally I think it's a really good educational tool and I think when you talk to kids about this at a scientific level you can really get them to think about the real the real life science behind some of these things and then last there is this other cool paper that has like no real relevance whatsoever it's just like these people made a phylogeny of pokemon and like <laughs> did like the evolutionary tree of pokemon which i have no clue how they got to some like i didn't really look at the tree that hard but they like they made a whole phylogeny for the, like the original 150 pokemon can you imagine how long that would actually take it would actually take quite a bit of time to flesh out the rules the reasons the Develop just all of that. That's insane. The writers of it, it was like Shalomi et al. 2012. It's just called Pokemon Phylogeny. You can look it up. It's like actually pretty crazy. I was like, this is really cool that someone made a phylogeny of Pokemon. And for anyone who doesn't know what a phylogeny is, it just looks like your typical like tree of life branched out showing you like which animals are ancestral and which ones are like the... I'm trying to use, like, not too sciencey vocabulary right now. But, just, <laughs> you know, it just shows where these animals evolved from and who yeah. they came from, what their relationship is that's down a, their tree of life. That's a way better way to put it. So we're going to go ahead and backtrack back to Bethesda land because let's be real, they really are the true Gs of the show when it comes to their arthropod representation. Okay, whatever, uh, now, whatever. Now, I will be honest, I'm not, like, the biggest fan of this game in general, but it has absolutely some of my favorite arthropod creatures. 
So, um, we're talking about Fallout. Uh, it is another rated M game. Uh, I've actually played this one. You've actually played Fallout? Yes, but I haven't played it all the way through, and I cannot tell you which one I played. No, it was... Were they in, like, a... It was, um... They're all about nuclear war. Right, right, right. No, but were they in, like, the the freezy chambers? Yes, it was the freezy chamber I know which one. Don't ask me to say which one it is. (laughs) I've played that one, too. Not all the way through, but I just played parts of it, but... But yeah, so they have my absolute favorite arthropod creatures, and this is specifically because they have reimagined them into a radioactive world, right? So there are about 69-ish different creatures. This is very, like, stereotype trope, like, video game of, like, radiation makes all the bugs huge. It really is. Uh, So if I counted right... There's about 69 different creatures, including scorpions, roaches, blowflies, and even hermit crabs, which I think is really cool. Um, so the they have these creatures called bloat flies, uh, which are mutated flies that are resembling our real-life blowflies. So they are bloat, like when you feel bloated. Blowflies are like the big, um, they're like the big flies you'll see flying around like, like cattle, like yeah, or you'll see them. They're what you see on, like, our Car- dead things. Carcasses. Our carcasses, yeah. right? So um, the bloat flies in-game, they like to distance attack you with their own spine-covered larva that they shoot out, which is awesome because these spine-covered larva are very similar to another type of fly larva that I actually see a lot it's real. This job. is a real one. It's a real thing. I see it a lot affecting a lot of mammalian wildlife, specifically rabbits in my job, which they're called cuterebras, also known as botflies. Now, a botfly larva, they're spined, so once they migrate into the host skin, it is very hard and very painful to remove them. Uh, they then spend their time as a larva eating you. They feast on their host until eventually they pupate and pop out of the skin. Um, For the most part, this really actually isn't the worst thing to have happen to you as far as a lot of parasitic infections can go. Of, like, all the parasites you could have, this is, like, one you would be like, oh, it's not that bad in comparison to, like, everything else. Unless you're a rabbit. Unless you're a rabbit. Unless you're a rabbit because if you, like... I guess from, like, If you were trying to pull the botfly out and you detach the botfly or the cuterebra in the wound, it sends them into anaphylactic shock. Okay, well, for humans. For humans, it's not that bad. You, the listener, if you want any parasite, this is the one you want. This is the one Cat wants. This is the one that I would like to have maybe one time in my life. It's like I'm, almost a rite of passage, exactly. I feel like. I know it's a little odd, but I'm going to stick to it. It's just who I am. Um, so you might... The biggest health risks are secondary infection and irritation. I do see in some of my animals, they have paresis just due to swelling pressure on the spine. But once that bot fly is removed and the pressure is down, um, then they don't have it anymore. But uh, you can also see blowflies hanging around the dead bodies found in Fallout, which is really typical of the behavior of the blowfly the video game creature is based on. Um, blowflies come from the family Californidae. And they're the flies, well... Like we mentioned. Like we mentioned, right. That's pretty straightforward. They eat dead things. Um, They do this mostly because they like to lay their eggs on the body so the larvae have an immediate food source as soon as they're hatched. Um, Another really awesome mutated bug they have is a giant mantis. 
in the game, they are these super extra large mantis things that can attack you. Um, they attack through jumping and slicing. Now, that actually isn't super like what a mantis looks like when it's attacking its prey. A normal mantid uh, will use raptorial arms to catch, and it's more of like a quick grab motion than it is a slicing motion, but I can see how it could go either way. Yeah. Um, also, fun fact, while the praying mantis uh, seems not that intense of an animal, there have been recorded cases of larger mantis species catching and preying upon small birds like hummingbirds. And snakes. I've and seen them catch snakes. So they are none to be messed with. They're actually pretty vicious. I mean... Not towards humans. No, not towards humans. I would like to clarify that, like, all of these creatures in the video games attacking, like, people in the video games don't actually attack people in real life. And I've had people tell me, like, oh, well, I had this bug chase me once, blah, blah, blah. And, like... They the, don't chase you. No, one, they they don't... Yeah, like Kat said, they don't chase you. And then... Also, there's, like, for some animals, they want to find somewhere they can hide under. And when they see your shadow, they think that's refuge because it's somewhere dark. It's not in direct sunlight. So they might be trying to get into your shadow versus actually chasing you. Like, bugs want nothing to do with you unless maybe you're, like, a dead body and they want to eat you and, like, return the nutrients back to the earth. But, like, other than that, they really want nothing to do with you. Okay, and so... You're not special. I'm just uh, kidding. All of our listeners are very special. We love you. <laughs> we at least you think you're pretty great acquaintances. Yeah. We, <laughs> there are not many people who listen to us right now, so for the people who do, we really appreciate you. <laughs> um, so then the last one I'm going to talk about are the Cazadors, which are Tarantula Hawk Wasp mutants. Um. In-game, a sting from these can lead to a pretty painful death for your character. The real-life tarantula hawk wasp, while not deadly, does have one of the most painful stings known to man according to the Schmidt Pain Index. This is a real thing. The Schmidt Pain Index? This guy was like, for science, I'm going to have insects sting me and see which one hurts the most. And people say it's weird that I want one botfly. It's actually, the Schmidt Pain D- Index, if you look it up, it's really cool. Highly suggest you Google it. Maybe we'll do uh, an episode on the Schmidt Pain Index. Yeah, that's, that that's a really good idea. Good. We'll do that one. <laughs> but so, the Tarantula Hawk Wasp, their sting is ranked number one in the United States as far as pain goes, and number two in the entire world, only losing out to the bullet ant. Um, in the game, these mutant creatures are often seen in packs of three to four, um, usual hawk wasps mostly live solitary lives, so that's a little not true to form. Um, the cassadors can also be seen with huge hives made out of chewed wood. That's mostly based off of paper wasp behavior. So hawk wasps don't make that, but paper wasps are the ones in real life that will chew wood and make those papery nests that you typically see. The tarantula hawk wasp, uh, they're much, they uh, do burrows. Right, so they'll make a burrow in the soil or some sort of other cavity for them to be hiding in. We actually worked with tarantula hawk wasps once um, in our past job. That was terrifying. I mean, like, you shouldn't be scared of insects. I'm saying that now. Sometimes you can be a little frightened. I You can respect them. Yes, you should I, respect the ones that are ranked number one in your country for pain. I respect them. I was just a little nervous having to fit 12 separate ones into one enclosure especially since they live solitary adult lives 
Yeah, so basically I was tasked with, they shipped us um, each hawk wasp in like this individual deli cup. I don't know if you were at the job at the time. I wasn't. I okay, wasn't. so this is a new story to you. Anyways, they're in these individual deli cups, and the person who was in charge of it was like, okay, that's cool, now put them all in one enclosure together. And I was thinking, like, how do I put 12 of these things that hurt really, really bad into one enclosure without one of them stinging me? Turns out, you can put them in the fridge. That shocks them for, that like, freeze, not freezes them, but, like, it slows, it slows down their down. body movement, and it's not harmful to them at all. Like, like it just makes get, them slow. You slow down in the cold. It's a normal, it's a normal <laughs> thing. So I, like, put all of them in the fridge, and then, like, me and the person working at the time had to run back and forth between the fridge and this enclosure, and, like, throwing them into the cups one by one, <laughs> or throwing them into the new enclosure one by one. And then we were, like, so terrified of these things getting out that we wired the whole, like, enclosure shut. Like, I think we put tape on it, too. And then the only way you could get into the enclosure was through this, like, tiny hole we drilled in it. And we only used that hole to feed them because we were told to feed them, like, um, agave nectar. And so we would just, like, pour it through the hole. That was the only way you could get inside there. So you could, like, not even stick your finger in there. And then when the hole wasn't in use, we, like, taped it shut. So that no one could like get hurt by these things, but they're not scary. I they're promise, not, they're they're nice. But, but they're not scary. We just had to do all of this stuff to make sure they never got out. But they're not scary. We can admit that sometimes they can be a little. I mean, like I was scared, but again, even if you're scared, you should respect insects and arachnids. But uh, once again, I only scratched the surface for what Fallout has to offer. I did play a mod once where you could make them double the size. <gasps> In, oh, in that the wall. would be terrifying. I mean, awesome, it made it glitch awesome. really bad. Like the bugs would go through the wall and then like spaz out. But seems accurate for real life bugs. It was really funny though. It, it, it like took up the whole screen. Anyways, okay. So what are we looking at next? So our next game is called Journey of a Roach. So Journey of a Roach is a game you can play on Windows and Mac OS X. Um, you can buy it on Steam. It's, I think it's rated E for everyone. I could not find, like, an yeah, explicit rating. Yeah, we everywhere for that rating, and it doesn't say anything. I assume it can't be that intense. No, there's, like, no violence or anything in it. So I'm, like, 99% sure this is safe for, like, anyone to play because it's it's very innocent. Um, so I'm just going to assume it's E for everyone. It comes in 18 languages, which is interesting, but I guess it's because there's not, like, a lot of voiceover. It's mostly text. The voices are like, me, 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 kind of deal. So <laughs> I guess that makes it easier then to... Yeah. Anyways, a little bit about the game, and this is straight from um, the description of it. Nuclear war, post-apocalypse, barren and lifeless wasteland. Not so much. Mutated insects have made their home in a bomb shelter, and they're set on exploring the world. Let this point-and-click adventure welcome you to a hilariously bizarre end-time world and join the roaches Jim and Bud on their journey to the surface. So I played a little bit of this game. Um, like the About States, it's just point-and-click. It's 3D, so it looks really cool, but there's not. it's not a complex game to play. It's mostly puzzle-based, so like you search for items to like solve how to get through a barrier kind of deal. Or like, yeah, yeah. that's basically it. So like I said, not much to it, but it's very cute. I really like it. They like the 
opening is like the one roach is telling the other one like i just want to find a flower oh, <laughs> so it's it's really that's sweet so sad. and it's only 6.99 on steam so if you have a steam it's pretty cheap i think i got it on sale like i would never buy a game that's more than five dollars i'm like on steam especially that's... if we're literally kind of just testing it for a podcast sorry guys it's low budget we're not <laughs> buying these games these are pre-owned by nerdy boyfriends right so at well, least in my case <laughs> your case. nerdy boyfriend pre-owns these things her cases, she's just the nerd herself. Yeah. Anyways, I if you're bored and need something to do, I suggest it. It's like I said, it's not advanced, but I think it's really cute. Um, another one we're gonna talk about. I feel like I keep ending up with the M, the mature rated games, and then Jillian keeps ending up with the I know, E for the, everyone. The she's a giant games. child. But uh, World of Warcraft actually has. Some pretty good arthropod representation through their game. World of Warcraft is making a comeback now. Yes. Did you know that? I feel like it never went away. It never did, but, like, they apparently re-released, like, the original game mode. And the queue to, like, get into the um, game is, like, two, three hours. Holy moly. That's insane. But, uh, so, World of Warcraft has about, uh, once again, if I counted correctly... 39 main categories of their arthropods. So not just, like, the creatures, just the categories. Um, so that includes cockroaches, spiders, and tarantulas, moths, crayfish, and praying mantids. Um, definitely, once again, one of the most diverse games. These fantasy games, their diversity, it is just insane. In fact, I could probably dedicate a podcast to this, too. You're, you call me a nerd. I know. And then you're like, I could make a podcast based on this one video game. Well, we're just going to highlight a few that I like the most. Their cockroach category. It was a really broad category that can be found in the game. They can range from enemies as far as being your companions. They can be found in-game and in re- real life in some of the extreme environmental conditions it's cool that, that you it's see in the game. Like a broad category because in real life, there are around 4,500 species of roaches that you can find basically all over the world. Yeah, they're everywhere. They mean it. I mean, obviously the journey of a roach is about something that's surviving a nuclear dis- destruction of I guess the world. That's one a- thing I didn't talk about with like the nuclear war concept with like roaches because i've always had people ask me like is it true they could survive a nuclear bomb it's a half truth okay so the thing is is they wouldn't be able to survive the blast of a bomb like if you drop a bomb on a roach like obviously it's gonna die but the truth behind it is they can survive radiation like high levels of it so there's actually research being done to see if there's something like what is it about roaches that makes them resistant to this radiation so that Maybe they can use it in cancer research so that when patients are going through chemotherapy, we might be able to have something that lessens the side effects of it and makes it less painful. Go roach science. So uh, one of the species of roach that is found in game that I thought was hilarious is the flesh-eating roach. While maybe in game the cockroach might eat flesh, I do feel compelled to point out that they don't eat us. <laughs> they won't you eat will our never, flesh. You will never, ever have a roach try to eat you. I had this guy once who was like, don't roaches lay eggs in your skin? Eh, no, 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 they do not. People, 
people are crazy okay, when it comes but to like, cockroaches. I think it's because people have a lot of weird pent-up fear. And I'm sure it's based off of, like, the innate idea that when you see a roach, it's somewhere dirty because the only, like, pest roaches we see are places that are considered, like, dirty and filthy. So people just assume the worst of roaches, which is not actually true. Out of 4,500 species, less than 1%, so around 30 species, are actually considered domestic pests. Um, Another type of roach that you can find in the game is the plague roach. Once again, roaches are not responsible for the plague. Uh, That's the flea. That is the flea. Fleas are the things that transmit plague, so I just had to point that one out a little bit. Uh, Fleas also transmit tapeworm. Oh, which is an interesting... I didn't know that. Yep, they do tapeworm too. They just got it all. They get all the good ones. The plague and the tapeworm. Man. Oh, okay. So actually, funny story about the plague. I went to Madagascar. You know how the plague can be a funny story. Well, the plague still exists. Like, people think the plague is gone, but there's cases of it every year. And when I went to Madagascar, I actually went at the end of plague season, which is, like, a very serious thing. Like, obviously, like, illness is serious, but I remember just being, like, shocked in the doctor's office when they were, like, giving me the travel warnings, and they're like, not that you're going to get it. Like, there's a very low chance you're going to get the plague, but we have to tell you there is a very, very small chance you could get the plague while in Madagascar. Granted, you can get the plague anywhere. Anywhere, like, these fleas... Like, there are cases in the United States every single year. Like, people might have heard that the plague doesn't exist anymore, at least in the United States, and that's not true. There's at least, I think, like, one or two cases every single year of the plague. So... If you're thinking that you're safe, you're not. You're not. The plague is still here. There's a very low chance you'll get it, I promise. But it, it's still Please here. Please don't take dude. cat seriously. Well, it's still here. It take is still me here. Seriously. Take me seriously. <laughs> um, they also represent scorpions really well in the World of Warcraft series. Uh, there's a lot of different kinds. My favorite one is the sea scorpion. Mostly because, unfortunately for us, sea scorpions... They were actually a thing, but they are now an extinct group of arthropods uh, known as Eurypterids. Uh, The scorpions in the game can be enemies, they can be a companion animal, or they can be a mount. So you can ride a giant scorpion into battle. I just saw a post like this on, um, so there's this Facebook page called Entomemology. I think that was it. It might have been Wild Green Memes for Ecological Fiends, which we have talked about on this podcast before. But someone posted this thing and I was like, what kind of animal would you ride into battle? I feel like scorpion is the right answer. Scorpion is a good one. It's not the expected answer. So you got to do it. You got to do it. Right? I would I would love to see a giant scorpion. I have my own scorpion. She's like right next to us, actually. But... Yeah, there's a lot of bugs right next to us. actually. Once again, filming on top of a cockroach box because low budget, low budget. We have no money. But uh, (laughs) the scorpions in-game are also known for having deadly stings. Uh, In real life, there are only about 20 species of scorpions that may, emphasis on may, have the ability to kill a human being. Um, 19 of those species do come from the family Buthidae, which is the largest family of scorpions, which includes scorpions such as the bark scorpion, which we can find here in the United States in the it's, Arizona yeah. area. Southern United States, the bark scorpion is supposedly the most dangerous one down there, but the chances of dying from a bark scorpion are pretty slim. Um, 
I'm pretty sure the statistic is if you're under eight, 70, 80 pounds is when you should be a little concerned. So like a child, if a child was stung, that's when there are more life-threatening. Yeah. Um, and that's where we like, see most of our venomous creature or most of our venomous animals if you're under a certain age, arthropod speaking. Arthropod speaking. Yeah. If you're under a certain weight or you're just someone who has bad health, you know, bad heart or other pre-existing conditions, that's where you're going to find that these bites and these stings are going to be deadly. Yeah. But if you're perfectly healthy, you're a healthy adult, it's going to suck. <laughs> not going to deny that. It's going to hurt, but you're not going to necessarily die from it. I talked to a woman who was actually stung by a bark scorpion once. She was an adult when she was stung, and she said that it made her leg go numb. Like, she got stung in the thigh. I don't think she actually ended up going to the hospital. But, like, disclaimer, guys, if you are stung by anything, like, please do visit a hospital or your um, doctor or tell somebody just in case. Because, of course, it's not very often that you get bit or stung by something venomous, but there's always the chance you could be allergic or that venomous, um, like, the venom could do more to you than a typical person if you have some sort of reaction to it that's outside the norm. Because in most of these recorded cases, there are no huge reactions. It's just going to hurt a lot. You're going to want some medicine. But just to be safe. Like, we're not saying, if you get yeah. stung, don't go to a doctor. Yeah, you will be fine. You ain't going to die. But just be safe. Always err on the side of caution. We got one more game to review. Oh, this one is so cool. This, this, is, is, this actually is kind of... I and keep hitting this box. Yeah, I'm so sorry. We're really we sorry. keep punching the box of roaches. Yeah. That's all the clanking. And there's a cat in here who's being, you know, not She's me. Not a little me, upset. She an lost, actual yeah. animal cat. <laughs> she lost her foster sister. Well, she didn't die. She got adopted. Um, yeah. So my cat is a little anxious right now. Anyways, our last game is Sim Ant. Okay, so I think we saved the best game for last because I think this is the coolest insect-based game out there. It's an older game, but it's it's very true to life, which makes me which is why I really enjoy it. So it's called Sim Ant, the Electronic Ant Colony. It's rated E for everyone. Um Platform, MSDOS, uh, Windows 3.x, Amiga, Macintosh, SNES, um, Next PC 9801. And it's inspired by E.O. Wilson's writing about ant colonies. So this game was inspired by real ants, obviously. And the point of the game is to basically manage an ant colony. So there's three game modes. You have the full game, the quick game, and experimental. So in the full game, your ultimate goal is to get all of the ants throughout the garden, into the house, drive out the rival red ants, and then drive out the humans. So basically, you want to take over this whole, like, plot of land. Which I always said, if I were to do research on an animal to take over the earth, I would choose ants. Absolutely. Ants are scary, man. They Have you seen those ants to just, like, eat everything in their path? <laughs> you can't. Ooh. They're kind of scary. Okay, mate. Well, okay. Okay, not scary, but you know what I mean. Like hypothetically, if someone were to take over the, you just hit the bucket I just again. Hit the bucket again. We're very sorry, but like hypothetically, if you were to like take over the world with ants, it would be probably very terrifying. Although I don't, I don't know how you would face that like caste system. Like, there's a queen. Are you the queen now? Are you the one having the babies? I don't know. 
I don't know. Anyways, in the quick game version, you have the red versus the black colony. So you are the black ant colony, and you want to face um, the red colony. You can only control one ant at a time, but that ant can influence the behavior of the other ants. So, and this is straight from um, the game description. The player's yellow ant may pick up food and pebbles and engage in trophallaxis which trophallaxis is the transfer of food or other fluid among members of a community through mouth-to-mouth or anus-to-mouth feeding. Along with nutrients, trophallaxis can involve the transfer of molecules, such as pheromones, and organisms such as symbionts and information to serve as a form of communication. So you can perform trophallaxis in this game, which is really cool. You can also attack the enemy ants. So group of ants or yellow ant with his recruits may attack and kill bigger enemies like spiders, caterpillars, and ant lions. Natural hazards include human footsteps, electrical outlets, bug spray, spiders, ant lions, lawn mowers, and rain, which washes away pheromone trails and can flood the bottom of the ant nest. And this is real. This is That's can, actually a really detailed list of things that can be considered like the natural hazard, the natural predator of these ants. Which is like why this game is so cool. It's base it's like very biologically sound. The fact for that the it most even part. takes into account like the pheromone trails is insane. I feel like that's such an important thing with ants though, is pheromone trails. Like if you've ever seen those videos of like the ant pits where they're going in a circle, that's because, you know, a couple of them start going in a circle and they accidentally made the pheromone trail in a circle, so then everyone keeps going in a circle because they're following that pheromone trail, which I think is hilarious. But, like, maybe not for the ant colony. But anyways, the last game mode is the experimental game. So it's, like, the sandbox version. It's very similar to the quick game, but you can control the red ants now and spiders and use tools such as um, pheromone trails, maze walls, rocks, ants, pesticides, and food. Which is really interesting that you have all of these components to this game that you would think, you know, ant colony... You wouldn't think you could do much with that kind of game. But what's real, like my favorite part of this game, and it's not even like in the game, it's the game manual. The game manual is rather large and covers both like how to play the game, but also gives you real information on ants, which is really cool. Like, what other game? I feel like no one reads no, game manuals anymore. I used to do that as a kid because, like, nerds. Sometimes the game manuals would have like puzzles or like in-game tips. I feel like no, not many companies anymore do that with their game manuals. And since this is an older game, which I don't remember the exact year it was made, but like if it's on the SNES, obviously it's older. It's definitely on the older side of things. Yeah, which is so cool though. Like, oh my god, the fact I- that it covers <laughs> the real information too. It, like, it gives a learning experience, a part of the playing experience, which is something that, I mean. You have to value that. How can you not value that? Right. And I I feel like everyone's heard of this game, but no one ever really talks about it. Like, when you ask people who have ever owned a SNES or something like that, then they're like, oh, yeah, I've heard of it, and I've, like, might have played it, but I don't remember much of it anymore. So I played a little bit of it, actually, as research (laughs) for the podcast. You can find... She'll say research. She just wanted to play. (laughs) I did actually just want to play it. But you can find it online, and you can play it for free. Um, you can connect your SNES controller to your computer to play it, which is pretty cool. I had a really hard time trying to play it with my mouse and my keyboard, but I'm also kind of dumb when it comes to technology, so maybe it was just me, but it was still really, really cool to, like, play the game. Okay, actually, one 
Really last, like, quick fact about Simant is it was the inspiration for The Sims games. Which, thank God, because The Sims is just <laughs> the best. <Sussle>. <laughs> Narbo. Quaffle <laughs> opinion. Like, think about that. We didn't have Simant. We wouldn't have Sims. And I don't know. I feel like Sims is a really popular game. That's the real. That's the real G. So when you see an ant on the street, you Same. better thank it for creating Sims. Thank you for the Sims. <laughs> Wait, well, how do you say thank you in um, Simulian? Isn't that what the language is? Simu- I, feel I like don't know. I think it's I just feel a it's, word. It's Smash like, your hand on a keyboard, <laughs> and that's probably what it is. <laughs> I think it's Susul. I could be wrong. I think Susul. that's how they say hello. Susul. Anyways, Simant is obviously an older game, and we haven't seen a similar game since. But we might be seeing a similar one come out at the end of 2020. And this is one that a lot of entomology people I know are, like, really excited for. It's called Bee Simulator. Um, You can find it on the Steam store right now just as, like, its description and the website. And I think, like, um, donation options for it. And you can look into kind of, like, the beta gameplay that's going on right now. It's really cool. It's very similar to Cement and the idea that you are in a colony of bees and obviously it's a bee simulator so it simulates being in a beehive bee beehive i can't talk today so this is straight from the game description it says when the first rays of sunlight rise above the horizon the beehive slowly wakes up hierarchy and diligence are vital for the well-being of the whole swarm So you check your wings, measure the intended degree of deviation, take orders from the queen, and begin, spelled B-E-E, begin, your first independent mission. And that's just the beginning of your adventures. Suddenly, you learn that people want to cut down the tree that holds your hive. Now your fate, and the fate of your whole family, lies in your small, agile legs and fast wings. Isn't that so cute? That's actually really intense. Super topical, honestly. So the game includes things like you can race other bees, you can sting enemies, you can do the waggle dance even, which is pretty cool. Um, So for anyone who doesn't know what the waggle dance is, it's like this little dance, obviously, that the bees do. Like they shake their little booty and they move in a vertical direction that tells the other ants where the food source is in relation to the sun. And the duration of the waggle dance tells you how far a way that um, nutrient sources, so like nectar, which is really cool. And you can watch videos of the waggle dance being performed. It's really cute. It's adorable. Them shaking their little fluff butts. I just love it. I just absolutely love it. And this is done in eusocial bees, which there aren't actually that many eusocial bees. Most bees are solitary. And I don't know if this is based off of any particular species. From first glance, it did not look like honeybees. But no. I could be wrong. It looks I've, too fluffy. It, it, they look more kind of like bumblebees. Mm-hmm. But I... Yeah. Anyways. Anywho, <laughs> look for that at the end of 2020. And there's three game modes. There's a one-player story mode where you can save your colony from the humans. So that's like the one given in the description. But there's also an exploration mode that's more sandbox style. And then a split screen for co-op or competitive and um, it's rated E, presumably, because in the description they specifically mention like lack of violence so that children can play. So this game, I'm really looking forward to it. 
Um, any listener who loves me and is like devoted to me, you can buy this game for me. Please like pre-purchase it for me. I have no clue how much it's going to cost. I don't think there's any estimates out yet. I feel like it can't be like that super expensive. I feel like in it's going to be like 20 bucks or less. I mean, that makes sense. That's for my a simulator guess. game. An indie game, I'm assuming. So it looks really cool. You can look it up on Steam already. You can watch videos on it. But anyways, I digress. Let's go into a couple of the minor game appearances. So we're just going to mention some things that don't... I would say they're not very... It's not like they're... ...roles in the games, but there's some good mentionables in here. Uh, One big one would be RuneScape for me. The cow fights. Um, So RuneScape is the game, like, I grew up on, right? I loved it, pretended I was 13 when I was 11 to get on it, right? (laughs) Um, so the Caliphites are, like, these scarab creatures, uh, that have the blood of the god Scarabus fall upon them. Um, and just like real-life dung beetles, uh, the Caliphites build nests with tunnels, and, and then they go through a metamorphosis. So, honorable mention there to them. We will mention Hearthstone a little bit. I must say, I am kind of disappointed with Hearthstone, because World of Warcraft, Hearthstone is based off of World of Warcraft. It's like a card game, right? Um, and World of Warcraft did a great job at arthropod representation, but Hearthstone is falling a little flat. There's uh, only one arthropod card that I have been able to find, and that's the giant wasps card. Um, and then there's a red band wasp card available to play. Um, that's all I could find for those ones. My favorite minor appearance is in Spyro, because Spyro has a dragonfly and he has sparks that follows him around. I really love the Spyro trilogy. It was like my favorite games growing up. My PS2 is actually behind me, and I have all three of the original trilogy games right behind me. Do not like the remake designs, but that's just me. But there is um, a Spyro spinoff game called Spyro Enter the Dragonfly, where you go and you save all these little dragonflies from the Rip Talks. And they have, like, the cutest little name. It's like, you save bubbles, or, like, you save oh sparkles. God. It's so cute. I love it. I love Spyro. One of the best games ever in, their, like, all of video game history. Just saying. Um, honorable shout-out to, of course, my bae, Stardew Valley. That has recently come out. They really don't have anything in there either, except for cave flies, which are actually an enemy that attacks you in the mine. So flies will not actually attack. Well, you can get bitten by like you horse can, flies. Yeah, you can get biting flies, but I don't think they could. They don't kill you unless you get a disease from them. That also happens. But so, anyways, <laughs> um, obviously Animal Crossing. I feel like anyone who has ever played Animal Crossing, like. Your minimal bug knowledge comes from Animal Crossing. I will say that is where I started getting bug knowledge from, is, like, you can catch all kinds of bugs in the Animal Crossing games. And in the newest one, New Leaf, they, like, expanded the types of bugs you can catch. And they actually make it, like, as accurate as possible to be, like, oh, some bugs are out at night, some are out at day, some you can only catch on the beach, some you can only catch on trees, which I think is really cool. And then you can sell them for, like... Certain like some of them are more, um, they're worth more than others, which I think is like really funny. Like the cicadas only sell for like a very small amount, but if you catch like a rainbow stag, it's like way more money, which is also true to real life. But <laughs> I digress. Poor cicadas, not getting their monetary representation in the real life. Um, one last game 
for minor appearances, unless you have another. No, I think this is the last oh, one. Yeah, this is the last one, um, which is Minecraft, which we're going to give a plus one to Minecraft because they, they just added bees. They just added bees. And they're bees. so cute. Oh, my gosh. If you look up, like, the design for them, they're so they're so cute. They're adorable. Um, but we're also going to do negative ten because they made the spiders bad. Yeah, they have, like, red glowing eyes. Yeah, they eyes. have, like, red glowing eyes, and they come out at night, and they attack you. And I just... Spiders are babes. Animal Crossing does that, too, though. Like, tarantulas come out at night, and then if you get bitten by one, you, like, pass out and end up at your door. They don't... Why is everyone making the tarantulas come out at night? Well, like, some of them do only... Come, it, it depends on the tarantula. The one yeah. they have in the game is, like, all black. So I don't really know what that would be like. Just as a what it's representing beyond just your typical tarantula drawing. Yeah. But. I think that's the one in the game. I, I don't know. I haven't played New Leaf in a little bit. It's been a hot minute. But other, I think that was all the video games. Do you have yeah, any more like, that you can think of? I can't. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty more. I'm sure we're going to have people commenting to us. What we should have talked about for bugs and video games. But, I mean, these are the ones that we just personally have some experience with and that we've enjoyed playing and, and enjoyed seeing. So, if no. we missed anything, like, you can totally message us on any of our platforms. And, yeah. I don't know, we can write, like, a Facebook post about anything we've missed. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely. very sorry we are behind in social media posting, oh, too. yes, we are behind in just everything. But and it's not just the podcast. It's just life in general we're behind on. But the coolest thing that we have done since we have stopped recording is actually we got T-shirts. Yes, we, we made, got T-shirts. They're really cool. You can actually find the design on our website. and Not on our website. On our social media. You can look on our Instagram or our Facebook or our Twitter to find... That we have shirt designs. We've actually printed them for ourselves and some of our friends. So if you're interested in a shirt, definitely contact us. They're really cool. We are still um, selling stickers if people want to buy our stickers. Or if you know us, I don't know. Should we get? We did a sticker giveaway, but not that many people yeah. participated. Uh, well, there's not that many people listening. That's, that's also um, true. We need everybody to ask Jillian for bumper stickers so I can get a bumper sticker. If there's a really rich person interested in bugs out there, please give us money so we can make cool merch. Or just, if you are a regular listener, you can also take part in our Patreon. So you can find our Patreon. It's just bugging out about. We have several different tiers of donations that you can subscribe to. So it's a monthly donation. We do not have the money yet to put... um, single donations on our website so uh once we get those monthly donations we can... we'll get those single donations it's a it's a ladder but remember to share this podcast with others and to subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, soundcloud and you can also find us on other podcast platforms that feed off these websites you can also find us and keep in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook at Buggin' Out About and our website, bugginoutabout.wordpress.com. And we want your feedback. Always, you can send us questions, comments, and even ideas for future episodes. And you can send all of that either to our social media or to our email, which is bugginoutabout at gmail.com. That is B-U-G-G-I-N-O-U-T-A-B-O-U-T at gmail.com. And just one more time, if you believe 
in the education of arthropodology, entomology. You can find us on patreon.com at bugginoutabout where you can pledge to be a member. It'd be really awesome if you did that. Uh, we'd also like to give a special shout out to AV, our logo designer. He's super awesome for putting together our amazing looking logo. Um, so thank you so much to him. And another special shout out to the producer of our music, Brandon Song. You can find him on Spotify under uh, Brandon Song. I'm pretty sure he still has that one. Um, he just released a couple new songs, so go check him out. And uh, yeah, thank, thank you guys. You. Yeah, thank you for tuning in. We will see you next time.